0: All right, I haven't gotten to do this in a very long time, so I might be out of practice, all right? But hey, kids, if you are pre-K through first grade and you would like to go to a children's church time during the sermon, Elevate has restarted Get it, Jeremiah. Not a boy. Run to the spotlight. There you go. Parents, if your kids have not been part of Elevate, and you would like to uh, take them back there for the first time, just follow that spotlight back there. Oh, my, the number of kids going. We may need to have a moment of prayer for, the, uh, for our Elevate team. Hey, if you were looking for a way to serve at Emmaus and you would like to be a part of the Elevate team, I bet they would uh, find you a spot. We can run a background check really fast, I bet, there. So that's fun. No, that's great. Alright, if you would, open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 12. You might have gotten a copy of the of the sermon notes as you were coming in, if you want to look at those. Also, just as a reminder, I hope this goes without saying, but if you if you want your children to stay with you in here, they are obviously always welcome to do that. We have that option for pre-K through first grade every week other than the first week of the month, and so... I want you to feel free to take advantage of that. Equally, if they want to stay here, that's, that's always great as well. Before I get started and we get into the verses this morning, just a quick heads up about some Sunday night things. Uh, we're trying to get back into the, the rhythm of a new semester. Tonight, at 5 o'clock, I know this doesn't sound particularly exciting, but it is important, we have our summer business meeting where we go over where we've been, where the Lord's leading us in the fall. We also take the Lord's Supper together. Um, and so we'd love for you as, as a part of the church to be here at 5 o'clock to be, uh, to be informed, to be engaged with what's happening, and also as we, we worship together, take the Lord's Supper together tonight. Next Sunday night is one of my favorite services of the year where those who have gone on mission trips during the summer share about God's work in their life, what they had a chance to be able to do if you're a guest at Emmaus and you've been visiting for a while and just curious about more of what's happening here at the church, next Sunday night is a good opportunity to hear some more about what we're doing with missions work. Plus if that's not good enough, it's homemade ice cream night. Um, So if you make a great homemade ice cream, next Sunday night is the chance to show off. All right, Uh, To bring that, we might make up a last minute homemade ice cream contest just so the staff can be the, <laughs> just, we can be the judges. Um, I've still not completely recovered from last year's men's chili cook-off when I was the judge for that, so I'm still trying to recover from that one. But we'll, maybe the ice cream would go better, so we'll try, we'll try that next Sunday night. As we gather right now uh, to study Scripture, if you're watching us uh, Facebook Live and we continue to go through this study of, of the book of Matthew, I do want you to know that at the end of our time of studying Scripture this morning, we're going to have a chance to stand up and sing a final psalm together about God's work in our life. During that final song, we would love to be able to pray for you. If God is calling you to salvation, to trust in Him, if maybe you've been disconnected from church for a long time and it took a lot of courage to come back in the building this morning, we want to be able to pray for you. Either during that last song or when that last song finishes, we stay up here at the front and we would love to meet you, love to pray over you, love to talk about whatever God's doing in your life, whether it's getting reconnected with church, whether it's learning to trust more God's work in your life, whatever that looks like, we want you to be able to respond to that uh, this morning. All right, I want to start out with this illustration to get rolling into our verses this morning. Twelve years ago, this month, A man named Barry Bonds hit a 435-foot home run off the Washington Nationals. He played for the San Francisco Giants. Now, that would not be a big deal, except this was the 756th career home run that Barry Bonds had hit, which took him past Hank Aaron for the all-time total of home runs for Major League Baseball. Again, you may say, well, I don't particularly care about sports, so what about that story? Here's the thing. If you watch Barry Bond's career progress over years from the time that he played for the Pittsburgh Pirates to the time that he played for the San Francisco Giants and all the home runs that he hit, and you kind of watched his body, you thought, wow, that guy's getting a lot stronger, (laughs) and that guy's head is starting to get a little bit bigger. And what we found out after the case is like a lot of other Major League Baseball players, Barry Bonds was caught up in the drug scandal, the steroid scandal uh, tied into a company called Balco and things going on uh, at that time in, in Major League Baseball. And so there's still this huge debate about who really has the home run record. But here's the question besides that. When people looked at Bonds as a baseball player, They looked at the things that he was doing on the baseball field, and they were asking the question, where does he get that power? How can someone, playing the game from where they were, they're a good player, to being the player they are now, where did that power come from? That's the question behind the verses we're looking at in Matthew. Jesus was doing things in his ministry, and someone had to answer the question, where in the world, or where out of the world, Did the guy get the power to do what he does? So look, Matthew 12, starting in verse 13. Where did this power come from? What does it mean for our lives? Matthew 12, 13. He said to the man, Jesus said to the man, this man whose hand was shriveled up, it was on the Sabbath, stretch out your hand. So the man stretched it out, and the hand was restored healthy like the other. 14, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Now we looked at these verses a couple of weeks ago and we saw the contrast here between the fact that Jesus and his ministry is seeking to heal people. He's seeking to bring them from where they were to where they could be. He's bringing hope and life and salvation and forgiveness and healing. All of these things are coming and the Pharisees in contrast, are trying to bring destruction, trying to stop the ministry of Jesus. And the question is, how is Jesus able to do these things? How does his ministry continue to go ahead, and what makes the Pharisees so mad about this? Verse 15. Jesus, aware of what the Pharisees were trying to do, aware of the fact that they are trying to destroy him, he withdrew from that place, and many followed him, And he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Now the first thing to see there is the fact that even though Jesus was facing opposition in his ministry, he continued to do ministry. The opposition that he faced from the Pharisees did not stop his healing, did not stop his ministry. This very much is the message of the book of Acts. The book of Acts can be summed up about how the message and the ministry of the Lord continued to move ahead despite all kinds of opposition. And you see the same thing happening in Jesus' ministry. He's ministering, he's healing, he's being opposed, he's running into obstacles, and yet it continues to move ahead. He continues to do this type of ministry. He doesn't stop. Now, he does have a strange comment there in verse 16. He healed them, and then he ordered them not to make him known. Why would he not want them to say anything? You see this idea repeated several times in the gospel, and it really boils down to the simple idea of it just was not the right time. This is not a message to us to say, don't go tell people about Jesus, because you find at the end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is saying, go and tell. But during his ministry, There was so much confusion, and we're going to see this again in a minute. There was so much confusion about his ministry. Jesus is just telling them, now is not the right time. I haven't reached the point that we're going to go and tell everybody what this is all about. But his ministry does continue. The question is, how and why? What's going on? Well, go go a little bit further. Verse 17. This was to fulfill, so the way that Jesus was acting in this situation, he's opposed by the Pharisees, but he continues to heal people, he continues to go forward in ministry. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. If you have not been with us through this study of Matthew, I want to put your attention on that word fulfill. Matthew loves the word fulfill. In in some senses, you could go back to the first page of Matthew in your Bible, and you could just write the word fulfill at the top of that page, because it is very much the theme of Matthew's gospel. Matthew is showing how Jesus' ministry and mission was fulfilling everything that God had prophesied ahead of time, everything that the Old Testament spoke of. Jesus didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it, and Matthew loves Isaiah. Matthew uses Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah's book, over and over and over again, and we're going to talk about a couple of things in these verses, but I want you to know most of what happens in verse 17-17, down to verse 21, we're going to talk about on Wednesday night at 6.30. Uh, Wednesday nights, we have a worship gathering at 6.30. Our kids and youth have their activities. We've got a lot of things on going on. When we get into September, on Wednesday nights, at 5.15, we do a Wednesday night meal. I'm telling you, Wednesday night is one of my favorite times to connect with people at, at Emmaus. You get to know people in a unique way. If you like kind of a scaled back, old style, think of a Sunday night service from back in the day. That's kind of what Wednesday night feels like. And so we're gonna use Wednesday nights during the fall to keep this Matthew study going. And so Matthew, I mean, this Wednesday night, we're gonna take this Isaiah passage and try to peel back the layers and talk about it. So that's my advertisement for Wednesday night and also the reason I'm not gonna give you very much information about these verses. But what you do see here, what you do see here is that Matthew is telling us that Jesus' ministry is fulfilling this prophecy from Isaiah. And specifically, the prophecy that usually comes from chapter 42 or chapter 61 in Isaiah, where God says, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, with whom my soul is well, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. If you underline in your Bible, You will underline, I will put my spirit upon him, because that reference to the work of the Holy Spirit in the ministry of Jesus, that's the answer to our Barry Bonds question. Where did this guy get the power to do what he's doing? And Matthew is telling us, this was always going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Every good and powerful thing that was going to come through the ministry of Jesus and that was ultimately going to come to us was going to happen through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not just a random dude trying to do things in the world. This is the work and the power of God that has come into the world. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Let me make a quick connection back to something we saw in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 is the story of Jesus' baptism. Back there in Matthew chapter 3, it says that when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and he saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. So we've already been prepared for this in Matthew. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Does that language sound familiar? Absolutely it does because it connects to what we saw in that Isaiah quote that is used in Matthew chapter 12. Here's the interesting thing. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, who was pleased with his ministry? God was. God the Father was. Who was displeased with his ministry? The Pharisees. So it becomes this question of who truly understands the ministry of Jesus. Would you rather please God or would you rather please man? Jesus lived a life and had a ministry that was pleasing to God. So you go back to Matthew chapter 12. And you look at verse 19. What kind of ministry did he have? He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. The quick explanation of that is that Jesus' ministry would be gentle and meek? Watch yourself, and by yourself, I mean myself. Ooh. Hey, man. <laughs> yeah. Watch yourself. That would be the time to watch yourself, wouldn't it? Yeah. All right. Maybe it's going to actually rain this time when it thunders as well, too. So, awesome. Hey, so what, we're going, what do we have going on here? When we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, sometimes we think about that work in terms of thunder, something that is very overwhelming, something that is loud, something that is out there. Here's what we find in the ministry of Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit is sometimes very quiet and very gentle and very much behind the scenes, very much unseen, Be careful of equating the Holy Spirit with something that is showy and loud and dynamic. The work of the Holy Spirit is often gentle and meek and unseen. And we're gonna see that in other places in Matthew. All right, so there's the Spirit-anointed servant who would come, Jesus would come as that servant. Now, look at verse 22. What's this ministry of Jesus going to look like? Then a demon-possessed man, or demon-oppressed man, who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Again, Matthew is just pushing the story forward. He's saying more of this is happening. So the people, in verse 23, the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. So the crowd is looking at the healing of Jesus and the way that he cast out demons, and they're saying, is this the Messiah? Is this the one who was going to come and rescue us? John the Baptist asked a very similar question at the beginning of Matthew chapter 11. Could, Could this be the one who is coming to bring God's kingdom? Their hesitancy is probably related to the fact that people thought that when the Messiah came, he would come with a lot of military power and a lot of political power. But what did we just see in that Isaiah quote? It would be very gentle, very quiet, very unseen, very unexpected. Could this be the son of David? It looks like the son of David, even though it's not having the power that we expected. His ministry's not having that. But what did the Pharisees say? It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. It's only by Satan. He's doing, essentially, the work of Satan when he cast out these demons. Now, let's pause for a second here. This is where it helps to know some ancient social history, what's going on in the ancient world. In the ancient world, the time of Jesus and you find this in culture still today it was very, very important to protect your honor. Your honor, the honor of your name, the honor of your family was a big deal. What the Pharisees are doing here is they are challenging Jesus' honor in public. And so Jesus will have to respond to this challenge, to his honor. So there's this, they're they're calling him out. They're saying, your work, that's actually the work of the devil. And so Jesus' honor is being challenged, and he has to respond to it. How's he going to respond to it? Not by punching them in the nose, though we don't know whether or not he was tempted by that. Kids, we don't fight with our hands, we speak with our words, gentle words. And so he doesn't respond by hitting, he doesn't respond with personal power. He responds in this way. Verse 25, knowing their thoughts, he responded to their honor challenge. He said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. In other words, if I was really doing the work of Satan, why would I cast out demons? It's like I'm helping Satan. Why, why would I do that? It makes no sense that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. This is a proverb we still use in our world today. But Jesus is saying, if I was really doing the work of Satan, do you really think I'd be going around casting out demons and healing people? Does that make sense? No, no, it doesn't make sense. Verse 26, second response. If Satan cast out Satan, he is dividing against himself, how then will his kingdom stand? Sorry, verse 27 would be the second response. Verse 27, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. Now, this is really interesting what Jesus does here. He acknowledges that there were other Jews of the time, apparently other Pharisees of the time, who were involved in healing and casting out demons. And Jesus says, hey, you guys acknowledge that there's spiritual power, that something is happening here. If your guys are doing that, are you saying they're doing the work of Satan? No, you wouldn't say that. Your your guys are doing that by the power of God. So how are you going to turn around and say that I'm not also using the power of God. Essentially, Jesus is using their own team against them. Hey, you guys are sending out healers. You're sending out exorcists. I'm doing the same thing, only it's going to be a little bit different because look at verse 28. Jesus says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, I know I talk about Bible underlining and Bible highlighting, but it really is important to pick out these key things. Verse 28 is core to what Jesus is doing right here, okay? This is at the core of what Jesus is doing in explaining his ministry. He is saying here, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out these demons, and and in fact it is, then you can know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. You go all the way back to the Old Testament And these prophecies that were given of the coming Messiah and when the kingdom of God would come, one indicator that was always there is that when the kingdom of God came, the kingdom would come with the power of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This is why Acts chapter 2 is so important in your Bible for the people recognizing what it was for the Spirit of God to, to come upon the church. Jesus is saying that when the Spirit of God comes in power, you can know that the kingdom has come as well. If I come doing the work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, his kingdom has come, which told the people, the Messiah is here. You are living in the last days. All of God's promises are coming true. So Jesus brings all of these things to bear with verse 28. Now, verse 29. Third response. Again, doesn't punch them in the nose, but he speaks to them. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Now this is not some sort of exorcism formula for us to use. This is speaking about Jesus' ministry. How did Jesus overcome Satan? Through the temptation accounts, through his ministry, through the cross, through the resurrection. That Jesus has come not to partner with Satan, but to bind Satan, to defeat him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, Jesus says, whoever is not with me, whoever is not acknowledging this is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus draws the line in the sand and says, you need to determine whether or not I'm doing the work of God by the power of the Holy Spirit or whether I have come deceiving you using the power of Satan. You need to decide. There's a line in the sand here. Verse 31, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, ridiculing, slandering, speaking against the Spirit, will not be forgiven. Then verse 32 repeats that idea again in a little bit different way. Verse 32, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. All right. So, what's going on in those verses, verses 31 and 32? This idea of what does it mean that you could speak against the Son of Man and have the prospect of being forgiven? Here's what that means. Remember, at this time, there is still a lot of confusion about who Jesus is, what his ministry is all about. Just a few verses ago, Jesus told people, hey, don't go out and tell what's happening because there's all this confusion. Jesus recognizes there could be confusion about who he is and what he's come to do. If you've been in church some and you have a little bit of background with the Bible, if you fast forward to the end of the gospel you get to Peter's denial of Jesus. Peter speaks against Jesus, and what happens? He's forgiven. He's restored. But there's another thing going on here. Whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Speaking against the Holy Spirit is this idea that you see the work of God happening, you know it's something that only God could do, and you refuse to acknowledge that. You deliberately, pridefully harden your heart and turn away. It's this idea of the difference between a failure to recognize the light and a deliberate refusal of it once it's recognized. You're calling something that is good, you're calling it evil. Now, let me say something about this idea of the unforgivable sin. You see a similar idea show up in 1 John. Let me say something about this really clearly. If you are afraid... That you have committed this sin, that is your first sign that you have not committed this unforgivable sin, okay? A soft heart, a convicted heart, a desire to be right with God is immediate evidence that this is not taking place in your life. This idea of not being forgiven because you speak, you've spoken against the Holy Spirit, this is a level of pride a level of hard-heartedness, a level of refusal in which you frankly do not care. You see the work of God, you see the goodness of God, and you just turn away and do not care. You've deliberately turned your back. You've, you've sinned in a prideful, uh, demeaning way. That is that situation, but if you're worried that that's happened in your life, that's a sure sign that, that it has not happened in your life. So, here's what we have. Matthew 12 Verses 15, down to where we are right now, 32, all of those verses are about showing that the power of the Holy Spirit was upon the ministry of Jesus. So question number one is, do I believe that in my own life? Do I believe that Jesus was just a random guy that lived a long time ago that people make a big deal about, and maybe he was a good teacher and he did some good things, but he was just a guy? Or... Do I believe that Jesus was the Son of God who came in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom of God on earth? Do I believe that is true? And there is a line in the sand where we have to determine, what do I believe about Jesus? Do I believe that Jesus came and ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, or do I not believe that to be the case? So that's the first thing. We recognize the power of the Spirit in Jesus' ministry. Then we have to ask, how do I know if that's happening in my life? How do I know if the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in my life? Look in verse 33. Jesus says, either, so he's, again, he draws these lines, these these clear dividing lines. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, Or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. The tree is known by its fruit. This is Sermon on the Mount language. This is something we saw at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, that if you want to know what kind of tree it is, if you want to know what kind of person that is, you look at the fruit of their life. Verse 34, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees says, You brood of vipers... That's John the Baptist language from Matthew chapter 3. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Have you ever had the experience where you say something and you think, oh man, where did that come from? Oh it actually came from in here. I was hoping to excuse that word that came out of my mouth or that phrase that came out of that mouth, my mouth or those hundred words that came quickly out of my mouth. Where did those come from? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We were having a conversation um, a, a few weeks ago in which we were trying to determine how many years in life we actually have a filter uh, over, over our mouths, um, This, we were kind of just a lighthearted conversation, but this idea that when you're young, you just kind of say whatever, and when you're older in age, you reach a a point that you just don't care, and you just say whatever you want. Um, And and maybe there's this like small period in the middle, somewhere between like 30 and 60, where you actually have a filter in place. Before that or after that, there's usually very little filter in place about what we say. Now that's a lighthearted way to say we all have to think about What's coming from in here? Because the condition of our heart, what God's Spirit has done in our lives will impact what comes out of our mouths. And so Jesus is saying in reference to the Pharisees, you're calling my work the work of Satan. That's coming from your heart. That's coming from what you truly believe. Verse 36, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. I tell you, pay attention to this verse, because this is the terrifying verse, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. The word careless there doesn't really care the idea of casual. Careless there has to do more with lazy, unproductive. It's very, very close to the commandment about not taking the Lord's name in vain. Speaking of something that is very important, that is very spiritual, but speaking about it in a way that shows that you really don't care, that it's really not important, that it's not going to have any impact on your life. A careless word, hear me out on this, a careless word is when you speak as if you are spiritual or religious, but you really have no desire to live a changed life. And we all have to be careful about that. We still live in a world and in an area where it's a little bit borderline cool to sound spiritual, to sound religious, to keep up an appearance. But it is a dangerous thing to speak like that, knowing there's been no change in our heart. No change in our life. It hasn't made any impact in the way that we live. Verse 37 wraps this section up. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. What does this have to do with the power of the Holy Spirit? There's this great verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that's up on the screen. No one speaking in the Spirit of God, so no one speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can truly say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now that connects to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth, so if you say with your mouth, and it is true, Jesus is Lord. So you confess, I believe that Jesus comes in the power of God by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the kingdom. I confess that, and you believe that in your heart. It actually comes from a heart that believes that is true. If you believe those things, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Here's the key to understanding the power of the Holy Spirit. The work of God in our lives is an inside-out work. God works inside of us. He works in our lives so that what comes out will be about Him, will be powered by the Holy Spirit. The dangerous thing, let me say this one more time before we move through these last couple of slides. The dangerous thing is to speak words that sound spiritual, that sound religious, But there's never been a change inside. That's where we get into the area of the Pharisees. That's where we get into dangerous areas. So then the question is, okay, so what does it look like for God to change my insides? What does it look like for him to do that work on the inside? It begins with salvation. It begins when I am made alive, when I am made new. And that is a work that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not anything we do. That's not anything we can do on our own power. We can't work our way into that. That's the work of the Spirit. And so the Spirit saves us. He he changes us. He transforms us on the inside. And then as we get the Word into us, as we spend time in prayer, as we deal, let's be honest, as we deal with some of those deep, dark parts of our life and our hearts that need to be changed by the power of God, as we deal with those things, He changes us on the inside. And he uses the church. He uses someone in your life who comes along and says the right thing at the right time and that word gets inside and it begins to do something in you. And you know it's the work of God changing you from the inside out because it's not just about changing by behavior, it's about what God's spirit is doing on the inside. And so God begins to do this work on the inside through salvation, through what we might call spiritual growth, through being connected to the church, Having people in your life that are willing to speak into you. Don't miss how cool that language is. We need people who will speak into our lives so that that change will begin to happen. And when that change happens, what's the fruit? Well, you're at Emmaus today, so I have to use Emmaus language. What's the fruit of that, that we will proclaim and display Jesus? How do I know that I've been changed on the inside How do I know I've been changed on the inside? I will proclaim and display Jesus. How do I proclaim Jesus? Well, I reject words that are prideful, untrue, hypocritical, grumbling, demeaning. None of us see ourselves in that list up there, I'm sure, except me like three out of five words, or five out of five. We, We have these words and we're like, God, Powered by your Holy Spirit, I want to test the words that come out of my mouth. If someone else listened to you speak, what would they say is going on on the inside? If we were judged based on the abundance of our mouth, what comes out of our mouth and out of our heart? What would someone say about what's happening on the inside? Are we speaking words of praise to God? Are we speaking words that are true, life-giving, gospel-focused? If you are feeling particularly courageous today and you really want to know what it is for God to work in your life, ask somebody close to you, when you hear me speak, what do you hear coming out of me? Am I speaking about Jesus? Am I speaking words that reveal the power of God's Spirit? That's a hard question to ask, but, but we need to ask those type of questions to one another. So we proclaim Jesus and then finally, we display Jesus. When God's doing that type of work in, in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit will come out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Oh, man. <laughs> what we wouldn't give to see that happening you know, in our lives and in our church. Guess what? That's exactly the work that God wants to do in our lives and in our church. Is it gonna happen like that? No, not usually. Usually there's this transformation process, it's slow, we take a couple of steps forward, a few steps back, but you know what? We do it together, and we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Those type of things up there, if you try to manufacture those on your own, ah, it just gets so frustrating and exhausting. But if God's doing that work on the inside, those things begin to come out, and then God empowers you, he gives you gifts to be able to build up others. Let's wrap up with this final slide. Here's what we want to come around to. The first half of our verses, really the first two-thirds of our verses today, were about the Spirit of God at work in the ministry of Jesus. And so the question is, have I ever confessed Jesus as Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is that true in my life? Who do I believe Jesus to be? The Savior of the world? The Son of God? The one who came to bring the kingdom of God and the power of God? Do I believe that's true? Have I confessed that? Is that true in what I believe and what I say? So that's the first part. The second part is what is God doing here in my life? What do my words and actions reveal about what's going on inside me? Those are the questions we have to think about based on God's word this morning. The spirit anointed, spirit empowered ministry of Jesus and then those spiritual words and actions that come when God does that work in our lives. Before we pray, before we sing a final song and you have a chance to come for prayer and to put those guest cards in the the offering plate, before we do that, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm kind of working this out of my head on the spot. I'm going to ask you to do something. Either in your phone, on a piece of paper, or taking this very seriously, making this note in your mind. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about who you're going to ask that hard question to that I I talked about earlier. Who are you going to ask the question, hey, when you look at my life and you see the actions and you hear the words coming out of me, what does that reveal about what's happening in my life? In other words, you're asking for someone to take a look at the fruit of of your lips and, and the fruit of your life to say, do I see the work of the Holy Spirit here? And if not, that you don't live in shame? Hear me out. You don't live in, the goal of this whole thing is not that you live in shame or guilt or fear, it's that you turn to Christ, that you experience forgiveness and hope and that God begins to do that incredible work on your life from the inside out. Today, this week, take the step Ask somebody that question, and let God do an amazing work in your life that will become an amazing work in our church. All right, let's pray so we can sing. uh. God, these are hard things to think about. We acknowledge that we live in a part of the world where there's still that temptation to want to look spiritual, look religious. God, we feel that. In different ways, maybe from our job, maybe from our family. We just have to keep up this particular appearance where we look good. But God, these verses today are about what you want to do in our lives from the inside out. This is how you work through the ministry of Jesus, and this is how you want to work through his followers, through your people. God, it's scary for us to think about some of the words that come out of our mouths, some of the ways that we live but the result of this, God, guard us from guilt and shame that makes us run away from you and remind us, God, of conviction that draws us to you. That is your kindness that leads us to repentance. So God, as we seen, as we respond in prayer, as we go from this place, may we live for you. May we build our lives on who you are and what you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs>